You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Police are expanding their search for evidence in the disappearance of a Vancouver mother. Investigators now focusing their efforts to find 37-year-old Su Yi Liang at an East Vancouver park. Our Jeff Hastings is live tonight at New Brighton Park where officers have been searching today. Jeff, what have you learned? Uh, well, we've learned a few things today, Sophie and Chris. The first is that the investigation into Su Yi Liang's disappearance is still very much active. The other thing we've learned is that this park, New Brighton Park and the surrounding areas, may be crucial in police finding out what happened to her. They gave us some new uh, photos today. We're starting off with a photo of the missing mother. They're hoping to jog people's memories. The next photos are very interesting. These are street camera photos from the top of Commissioner Street taken of her vehicle a few hours after she disappeared. They don't believe that she is the one driving that car. These images were from the afternoon of January the 8th, Monday, January the 8th. She wasn't reported missing until January the 10th. Now, this is almost six weeks later. Police are still searching and they're still asking the public for help. Today, there was a search in New Brighton Park. Divers were in the water. The uh, Vancouver Police Department boat was there assisting. Members were combing the shoreline, looking for clues, looking for evidence, uh, talking to people in the park. And they're really hoping that uh, this exposure and this new searching and these new images will jog someone's memory and that they'll be able to find out what happened to Su Yi Liang. Based on the evidence collected during a search warrant, uh, we do believe that Miss Liang will not be found alive. It's very important that anybody was in this area on January 8th, just after lunch, and saw Miss Liang's gray 2004 BMW i3. It's a small electric vehicle. It's quite unique. If you saw anybody operating that vehicle or in the area, getting out, walking around the area, give us a call. It's important. And Jeff, what are police saying now about any potential suspects? Uh, well, we learned a lot today, Sophie, but nothing new about any suspects. We know that a man was taken into custody following a search of her home in East Vancouver. He was uh, taken into custody for questioning, but released without charge. So today, police are really hoping police uh, people will look at those pictures. They'll jog their memories. They'll think back to the morning, early afternoon of January the 8th. They'll think about the Commissioner Street overpass there, and hopefully will come forward with that piece of information that enables police and her family to find out what happened. Back yeah, a lot to you. Of, a lot of folks drive in that area and use that park, so hopefully they'll come up with something. Thanks, Jeff. A Coquitlam piano teacher facing sexual assault charges appeared in court today. 67-year-old Dimitro Kubishkin is believed to have been teaching young students in private homes for more than 20 years. Romina Dea has more on his appearance and what he said as he was leaving the courthouse. 67-year-old Dimitro Kubishkin has been released from jail on $500 bail. The Coquitlam piano teacher's reaction to the three counts of sexual assault he's now facing. I think that they, they, did, they didn't prove it. They can't prove it? They can't prove it. The sexual assault charges involved three former students and allegedly took place between 1998 and 2015. The victims are all alleged to be former students, they're teens and pre-teens. Beyond that, we can't release any details. Guys, I don't know English very well. 
According to Kubishkin's website, DM Piano School taught more than 200 students over the past 20 years. The accused also gave piano lessons in private homes. RCMP have received a number of tips since the story broke Tuesday. While investigators say they are concerned there could be other alleged victims, it's too early to say whether more charges could be laid. Certainly any parents who've had students of Mr. Kubishkin are asked to have a good conversation with their children and make sure there's nothing amiss. Kubishkin can still teach music, but according to his court-ordered conditions, he must inform potential students of the charges he now faces. The piano teacher is also not allowed to be alone with anyone who is or appears to be under 14, except his own children. Kubishkin's next court appearance is March 14th in Port Coquitlam. Romina Dea, Global News. Victoria police are releasing this video of a suspect in the sexual assault of a 12-year-old girl. It happened last Sunday at the Bay Centre in downtown Victoria. The video shows the suspect both in the mall and then traveling north on Douglas Street. The suspect described as approximately 40 years old, a male of average height and a medium build. If you have any information, you're asked to call Victoria PD. Some breaking weather news for you now. Snowfall warnings and special weather statements to tell you about. Let's bring in meteorologist Christy Gordon for the details. Christy. So, so as predicted, snow fell across the south coast today. Now, for most, it was light, but just in the last hour, the intensity has really picked up in Metro Vancouver and Greater Victoria, and it has prompted a snowfall warning to be issued. Here's a look at Victoria right now. They've seen a good five centimeters of snow. Another five could fall just in the next couple of hours. They've had reports of slushy, slippery roads and several accidents being reported. This one from Victoria. And here's a look at Tawasson right now. Significant snowfall. Now, the concern is really just for the next couple of hours while people are trying to get home and then it should ease off maybe a couple of centimeters for Metro Vancouver and that would be about it. But there's still another snowstorm on deck for Friday. I'll show you how much when I come back. All right. Thanks, Christy. And the snow is causing problems for transit users. TransLink reporting that buses are not running between Tawasson and the ferry terminal. Service will terminate at the South Delta Exchange and there are a number of other delays as well. So best to check TransLink's Twitter feed before heading out. Vancouver City Council voting today on a motion proposing a number of new safety measures for the Granville Strip. And before deciding, council heard a passionate plea from a family who recently lost their son. Our Grace Key is at City Hall with more on the decision and the emotional appeal. Grace. Yeah, the family of Calwinder Thin, uh, they were they there. They did give an emotional plea in support of NPA City Councillor George Affleck's motion to calling on some changes for the Granville Entertainment District. Now, one of his motions, uh, some of them included better transportation, redesigning the area, promoting more dining, and bringing CCTV cameras there. And that was the more controversial issue. Now, Calwinder Thin's family did support the changes. They say... Uh, was killed last month while trying to stop a fight. No other family should have to go through what we are going through. I didn't just lose my brother that day. I see my parents die over and over again every single day. My family is broken. This needs to end. Innocent people should not be killed in one of the best cities in the world. Don't we deserve safe streets for our children? 
So in the end, the motion was defeated. There was concerns surrounding the CCTV cameras, whether or not they'd get support from the uh, privacy uh, commissioner, the cost staffing. So at this hour, they are still debating uh, whether or not to get uh, you know another report uh, from staff, a report from staff, and when that deadline could possibly be. Obviously, uh, Councillor George Affleck is hoping to get this done sooner than later. So again, they've been going at this for about three hours now. And still debating uh, the issues surrounding this uh, possible staff mm -hmm. report and when it could be made available. Sophie? All right, thanks for that. Grace Key at Vancouver City Hall. We're learning more today about what caused a fatal fire in East Vancouver over the weekend. A man in his 70s was killed when flames swept through his rented basement suite in the 2600 block of East 47th Avenue. Investigators now say the fire was caused by an overloaded or malfunctioning power bar or extension cord that was feeding a space heater. Firefighters say a smoke alarm could have saved the man's life. There's, uh, I think, a broad misconception that people will be woken up in case of a fire. They'll smell the smoke, they'll hear the fire, and that's been proven time and time again not to be the case. Investigators say there were no functioning smoke alarms upstairs either, and the three people who lived there were very lucky to get out alive. Well, many B.C. businesses are voicing frustration today, feeling blindsided by the NDP's budget. The province announcing yesterday it will replace medical services premiums with a new employer health tax. Aaron MacArthur explains why the surprise announcement comes as a double whammy. As staff are busy prepping for the service ahead, the owner of Little Jumbo Restaurant is wondering what's in store. His 20 employees put the restaurant right at the threshold for the employer health tax. Any bump in costs could take away what are already razor-thin margins. You know, we're a small enterprise. We're not a medium-sized enterprise, so I think the impact is going to be fairly significant. The NDP campaigned on elimination of the MSP, but billions in lost revenue had to come from somewhere. The government turned to the business community. Any firm with more than half a million in payroll will start footing the bill in 2019. Why is it that this finance minister grins from ear to ear as she lists off one tax after another that will cripple small business in this province and make it less and less affordable? Not only did the NDP ignore its own panel on MSP recommendations, this plan will see some businesses paying twice. The MSP still on the books until 2020. We are not clawing back in 2018 the 50% that, uh, that we have reduced. They'll have that year's savings, they'll have the year transition, and we'll have time to make sure that we're implementing the tax in a way that is as simple and straightforward for them as possible. So do you make, make a little bit of headway in terms of discussion opportunities? Small business owners say it's simple and straightforward as well. Facing higher minimum wages and paying more for things like the carbon tax they may be forced to scale back on new hires or simply pass the extra costs onto the consumer. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. And someone else not too happy with our province right now, Alberta, taking out full-page ads in a number of B.C. publications. It's their latest response to the ongoing fight over the Trans Mountain Pipeline expansion. As Keith Baldry reports, Alberta likens the dispute to a breakup. Precisely what information did he disclose to members of the Bowen Island Group 
on January 29th, ahead of the January 30th announcement. What I told environmental organizations was no more and no less than a simple summary of what was public information the next day. The trade war between Alberta and B.C. was front and centre during question period today, with the opposition demanding to know when the environment minister told environmental groups about the proposed pipeline regulation that triggered this war in the first place. Will he then provide this House with any scripts or materials that were used in order to share the update or the heads-up information with organizations? We gave people a summary of what was public information in a news release the next day. That's it. BC's proposal to regulate and control any bitumen that will flow in the Kinder Morgan pipeline from Alberta through BC to waiting tankers prompted the Alberta government to ban the importation of BC wine into that province. BC is threatening to go to a national trade tribunal. And today, the Alberta government published a full-page ad in several BC newspapers, cheekily comparing the two provinces to former friends who have drifted apart. I've, uh, I've just seen the ad, and I have no comment on the ad. Still, B.C.'s environment minister is hoping the relationship between the two provinces gets patched up at some point. We're not trying to engage in a fight or pick a fight. We're simply defending B.C.'s interests, just as Rachel Notley is uh, doing what she believes she has to do to defend Albertans' interests. And an economist says Canada stands to lose as long as this pipeline fight drags on. Well, I think some of the export markets are benefiting quite a bit. I mean, you think about that $15 billion loss, that's money that we should be taking in from our export partners that we're not. So they're getting a much better deal than they should be getting, and we're getting a much worse deal. It's not entirely clear where the B.C.-Alberta trade war is headed or how much longer it will continue. What is clear, it's going to start having a negative economic impact with national implications. Keith Baldry, Global News, Victoria. The government announcing today a state memorial service will be held in Victoria next week for former Premier Dave Barrett. Barrett died earlier this month at the age of 87. The service will be held at the University of Victoria's Farquhar Auditorium on Saturday, March 3rd at 10 a.m. In lieu of flowers, the family asked that donations be made to the Alzheimer's Society of B.C. or to a charity of your choice. A Vancouver school teacher has been suspended over the use of a derogatory racial term. The person taught at Trafalgar Elementary on the city's west side. The teacher is being investigated for allegedly distributing a worksheet with the N-word on it. The Teachers Association says in order for students to feel safe at school, teachers try to make them aware of certain words and topics. The school board is refusing to comment for confidentiality reasons. First, though, bottled water has become a pretty crowded market, but a Vancouver Island company is offering something that's never been sold in Canada before. It's selling bottled water from the ocean. Kylie Stanton tells us where they got the idea and how they do it so that it's drinkable. So we'll turn this on. Dialing up the pressure to start the process. 800 PSI. That's what it takes to extract salt from this water and get it onto these shelves. So we have flavored salts here. We've got bath soaks and then the soap. Salt West Naturals has been at this for seven years now, producing these products using ocean water from the Salish Sea. So this is the Salish Pure. But its latest venture, bottled seawater, is just a byproduct turned commodity. One third of the overall water that we collect down at the beach gets converted into potable water. 
The idea to bottle it came about by chance during an annual inspection with the Vancouver Island Health Authority. He said, oh, you guys should bottle that water. And I wasn't even aware we could, so we had some further conversation uh, to that nature. And here we are today. The high-pressure pump pushes the seawater through two filters and then through the dense membranes of a reverse osmosis system. This is the brine water right here. It desalinates, demineralizes, and then uses a UV filter to further purify the water. It's just an extra precaution that we can take. Before it's stored and ready to be bottled. You would be hard-pressed, I think, in like a blind taste test to tell the difference between it and other bottled waters. Um, Yeah, it just tastes like water. It's the first company in Canada to take desalinated seawater and bottle it to be sold. For now, it can only be purchased here in the store or online at $2.50 each. But the applications are endless. And considering it's already being made in large quantities, it's cost-effective as well. We use it in soap irrigation, the water itself, the bottled water. Every drop is considered an investment in the bottom line, and for this business owner, that's easy to swallow. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Souk. The deal seekers were out in force today looking for bargains from a Vancouver computer company that went bankrupt. They're going to be little hidden gems. People actually flew in from across North America to preview the millions of dollars worth of items from NCIX Netlink computers. The company had about a dozen retail outlets across Canada, but shut down late last year. Close to a thousand people showed up to check out the goods within the first three hours today. Oh boy, we've got everything from uh, you know brand new gaming computers, brand new laptops, all of their offices, um, boardrooms, reception areas, um, warehouse full of millions of dollars worth of inventory. Um, all a lot of it being sold by the pallet load, a lot of it being sold individually. A lot of people have, and what you do next could make a big difference to your bank account. Our consumer reporter, Andrea, is here with a warning. And it's mm. happened to all of us. I know, the callback scam, it's mm. back. Thanks, you two. It starts with a missed call on your mobile phone. If you call the number back, you could be on the hook for a very big bill. The missed long-distance calls are from overseas area codes and disconnect after the first ring, so no voicemail is left. Also known as the one-ring scam. The scammers hope you'll call back out of curiosity. But Burnaby RCMP tweeting this warning. Don't call back. When you do, you're charged premium toll rates. Those rates are reported to be anywhere from $20 a minute to hundreds of dollars. Even members of the Vancouver Police Department are not immune to the calls, which often appear to be from Africa. I received about three missed calls. I actually looked down at my phone and realized that I'd missed some calls. There are lengthy numbers. I didn't recognize any of them. Nothing's that important. If it is important, I'll call back. They may be connected to some kind of toll service. Um, You may hear music playing. You may hear an automated recording of some sort. And the longer you stay on the line, the chances are your phone bill is going to be racked up with long distance charges. Rogers, Bell and Tellas have also warned their customers about this fraud, advising them not to call the international numbers back. And Tellas says it has waived long-distance charges for a few customers who reported falling victim to the scam. We also asked Rogers and Bell whether wireless customers would be billed for any charges incurred as a result of the callback scam, but did not get an answer. The best advice, if you don't recognize a number don't call back. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can reach me. There's my email address at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. Excellent. Thanks very much, Ann. 
Efforts to open a controversial recovery center in the Okanagan are back on track for a Vancouver-area woman who lost a son to addiction. Michelle Jansen has faced numerous obstacles in her campaign, but says all systems are go for a facility to open its doors in Penticton next week. With more on the way, Shelby Tom reports. We are announcing the opening of our first center in Penticton. Despite setbacks, Michelle Jansen is persistent in her efforts to spare others the grief she's experienced. Jansen's 20-year-old son Brandon died alone in his room from an illicit drug overdose just days after admittance at this private facility in Powell River. In honor of her son's passing, Jansen attempted to open a recovery center at this Juniper Drive property in Penticton last year. But while she was in negotiations, neighbors banded together to buy the $1.4 million home out from under her. Um, I think the number one concern for us was the safety of our kids. Um, I think that it's just a known fact that these facilities, drugs do get into them, and we share this driveway with this property. Mrs. Jansen's son died from a drug a, a overdose in a drug rehab facility. What that did was tell us that stigma is alive and well, even in light of the thousands of people who are dying from opioid addiction. Driven by her desire to create change, Jansen is announcing the opening of the Brandon Jansen Memorial Center in Penticton on March 1st. She's acquired another home, but this time she's not revealing the address. In order to keep people alive, we need treatment beds. Jansen says she also plans to open private treatment facilities in Asuyus and Vernon. Jansen says her facilities will be different from the others with a limit of six patients, higher staff-to-client ratios, customized treatment and heightened security. Brandon went to 12 privately funded centers in less than two years. I have learned what works. I have learned what doesn't. Shelby Tom, Global News, Penticton. A state of emergency in Brantford, Ontario. Rain and mild temperatures are breaking up the ice, causing a massive ice jam on the Grand River. With nowhere else to go, water is now flooding into the town. Bridges are closed and police are going door to door in the affected neighborhoods, urging close to 5,000 people to leave immediately. Well, students and parents reeling from deadly school shootings in America took their plea for gun control straight to the president today. After listening to their anguished stories, Donald Trump promised action, including one solution that involves more guns. Tonight at the White House, before an audience of one, pain and anger. I'm pissed because my daughter I'm not going to see again. Andrew Pollock's daughter Meadow was killed in Parkland last week. How many schools, how many children have to get shot? It stops here with this administration and me. Sam Zeif lost his best friend. Let's be strong for the fallen who don't have a voice to speak anymore. And let's never let this happen again. Please. Nicole Hockley's six-year-old son, Dylan, was murdered at Sandy Hook. You don't want to be me. No parent does. And you have the ability to make a difference and save lives today. President Trump vowing action. It's not going to be talked like it has been in the past. It's been going on too long, too many instances, and we're going to get it done. The president with talking points in his hands, including one reading, I hear you. 
Outside loud protests, hundreds of high school students demanding something be done, worried they could be next. President Trump, a fierce advocate for the Second Amendment. To the NRA, I can proudly say I will never, ever let you down. Now appearing open to modest changes like strengthening background checks and imposing new regulations on bump stocks. Still, neither of those moves would have prevented last week's tragedy. If he's not old enough to buy a drink, to, to go and buy a beer, he should not be able to buy a gun at 18 years old. As for a new bipartisan push to raise the minimum age to 21 to buy the type of semi-automatic rifle used in Parkland, President Trump tonight says that's now on the table, too. Peter Alexander, NBC News, the White House. Surveillance video captures the moment an explosion tore apart a passenger ferry in Mexico today. The ferry was docked at the tourist hotspot of Playa del Carmen when it suddenly exploded. 25 people were hurt, including three Canadians, but miraculously none of the injuries is life-threatening and no one was killed. There's no word yet on what might have caused the blast. People around the world are mourning the loss of one of history's most influential Christian evangelists. He has conquered the grave. He's alive. Billy Graham is credited with bringing the born-again movement into the mainstream. For more than half a century, he led revivals, filling some of the world's largest stadiums, as well as people's homes. Graham was also the unofficial pastor of the White House, giving counsel to every U.S. president since the 1950s. He passed away in his North Carolina home after a long battle with cancer. Graham was 99 years old. In Health Matters, a promising breakthrough for the millions of children suffering from life-threatening peanut allergies. U.S. researchers say they have developed a pill to desensitize kids to nuts. Peanuts. 67% of those who had the treatment were eventually able to tolerate small amounts of peanuts. The findings still need to be confirmed by independent experts. The company plans to file for regulatory approval by the end of the year. A Toronto woman with a chronic medical condition has brought her unusual cross-country mission to Vancouver. She spent her life dealing with an acute form of eczema. And as Linda Aylesworth reports, she has a hands-on method of raising awareness and battling the stigma. Who is Tanya Mohan? She was the one in frigid downtown Vancouver today not wearing gloves. Hi there, just raising awareness around eczema. Just shaking people's hands around Vancouver today. How's it going? Good, how are you? Good. Good. She is a woman on a mission. Oh, thank you so much. Just raising awareness around eczema. What we're trying to achieve is a lifetime's worth of handshakes. So it's about 15,000 hands that I'm trying to shake over the next month. How are you? Thank you, guys. Thank you. Yesterday, she shook hands in Ottawa. Tomorrow, she's off to Edmonton, then to Toronto. It's all part of the Lifetime of Handshakes campaign to raise awareness and destigmatize atopic dermatitis or eczema, a skin condition Tanya was born with and that covers her entire body. I hate looking at my hands, but... Part of this journey is just me also accepting who I am, right, and what this is. And helping others do the same. Hi there, just raising awareness around eczema, shaking people's hands today. (laughs) Thank you so much. Eczema is not contagious. It's often hereditary and it torments those who have it. Growing up, I didn't have a lot of people I could relate to. You know, I was constantly itchy. I had a lot of scarring, infections, and I really just hated myself. I would look in the mirror and I would cry. 
While there isn't a cure, there's hope that there will be one day. In the meantime, Tanya's husband and baby daughter have helped her accept her condition and herself. Like I always had this image that like, oh, no one's going to love me this way. No one will accept me for this. I mean, it gave me a lot of confidence and it made me feel like, okay, I can manage this. Hello. Have a Shake lovely day. Hi, sweetie. Thank Shake you so much. Right. Aylesworth, Global News. Dashcam video shows how this driver came within one second, maybe less, of total catastrophe. That's coming up right after the weather forecast. All right, Chris. They're okay, though. They're okay, yes. Okay. And we'll give you all the details right after Christie's forecast, which is especially important mm-hmm. uh, because we're seeing lots of, well, I shouldn't say lots of, we're seeing some snow out there. Yeah, it depends on where you are. You can see in the tower cam here, the flakes are so small that we're not seeing much accumulation in some areas, but it certainly looks like a blizzard out there. We're just trying to get everyone home safely. Uh, there are a few areas where the flakes are a little bit heavier. There's a little bit more moisture in there. So this is Surrey, for example, where it is accumulating on the roads. We've had reports of a number of accidents. Make sure you go slowly if you have to head out this evening. This one from Janet Brown in Surrey as well. You can see a good uh, two to four centimeters has accumulated. We've seen that downtown as well, but it's mostly across the southern parts of uh, Metro Vancouver and also into the southern parts of Vancouver Island. So this one from Saanich, we showed you uh, images from Victoria earlier. Tawasson also got hit today. Now, what we've got is the whole system is dropping to the south, but there's still quite a bullseye over Victoria. So still a couple centimeters for you. Most other areas, just a bit of a dusting, but nonetheless, slick conditions on the roads. And we're getting reports of tough conditions on, on the Coquihalla, although we're not expecting much snow on the Coquihalla, but it seems to be quite icy. I would avoid those roads until tomorrow. Tomorrow will be a much better driving day because we'll see clear skies across the province. The next snowstorm isn't until Friday, and it is going to push in through the morning hours. The interior regions, especially along the mountains, will see anywhere from 5 to 15 centimeters. Here's a look at the south coast. So in the morning for your commute to work on Friday, yes, we're expecting snow. Now, temperatures warm up in the afternoon, and it could transition to rain. That's what we'll be tracking closely. So keep tuning back in. We'll be able to give you an update on that. But the earliest forecasts right now are calling for anywhere between 5 to 15 centimeters by Saturday morning. There's your forecast. So clear and sunny tomorrow, as I mentioned. That's a case all across the province. It is going to be cold tonight and certainly through the day tomorrow as as well. We talked about the snowfall for Friday, and then we have a little bit of a break on Saturday, but the potential for snow returns on Sunday. A number of people celebrating 100 years, Martha Baer, John Isaac, and Roberta Miller. Congratulations to you, and an incredible 76 years together for Florence and Tom Kirkham. Congratulations to you, and I'll leave you with this beautiful shot from Denman Island. Back to you guys. Wow. Very nice. Love the blue sky. Thanks, Christy. Well, timing is everything, and that's true for one driver who probably felt like his whole life flashed right in front of him. The man posting this dash cam video of his drive along a mountain highway in Taiwan when this happens. boulder crashing down onto the road in front of him, landing pretty much exactly where he would have been a second later. The driver says his car only had a few scratches. Timing is kind of a theme in this segment of the news hour. Yes, it is, because the world's richest man has released video of his latest project, a gigantic cuckoo clock.
Amazon founder and CEO Jeff Bezos is building a 10,000-year clock. His team spent the last few years building parts for the clock and hollowing out a remote mountain in Texas to contain all those parts. Now they're starting to put the whole thing together. Instead of a second hand, the 150-meter clock will have a year hand that will tick only once a year. The century hand will move once every 100 years, and the cuckoo comes out on the millennium. Basil says the clock is a symbol of long-term thinking. The clock's costing him more than $50 million Canadian to build. <laughs> and wow. we'll be able to climb down there and see it, too, apparently. Hmm. Why doesn't he just buy an Apple Watch? I know, it's cheaper. It's so <laughs> much cheaper, and it's right on your wrist the whole time. You and it doesn't do cost all this building. Million. does oh. other things, too. does other things. In fact, it does more than that. Yeah. Yeah. Canada's sweethearts of these games. Talk to our Sonia Sunger today on the Global Morning News. Tessa Virtue and Scott Moyer still flying high from that gold medal and world record-setting performance in the Ice Dance Final yesterday. They talked about a pre-performance ritual that began at the Vancouver 2010 Games. Right before uh, our first Olympic performance, we just hug and try and synchronize our breathing. And what we do, we need to be on the same page. Every, every breath has to be together. Every single little movement has to be in sync. So that's something that, a kind of a tool that we use to make sure that we're on the same page. And also it's a reminder that we've put in this work for each other. And uh, we owe it to each other uh, to enjoy the moment. And that little hug is kind of maybe one last reminder that whatever happens out there, we got each other's backs. Oh, they're so cute. They sure are. You can, I can't help it. You can watch the full interview on our website, globalnews.ca slash BC. Are you one of those wondering if they have... No, I, I mean, it's a, whatever. It's their life. It's I right. I love them together. They're so sweet. Yes, well, they're a good team. Just win gold. I don't care what they do. Yeah. Just win the gold. And they did. <laughs> they did. And they did. Um... Canada versus the USA in women's hockey. That actually is the best rivalry in the game right now. There is no love between these two. Oh, there may be sportsmanship. But this is truly a game where haters going to hate. And tonight they get together again for an Olympic gold medal. And despite the fact that they dominate women's hockey to the point where all the other nations are basically playing for the bronze, it's moments like these we are glad no other teams are getting in the way of another clash of the titans. Be it world championships or Olympics, these two teams know it's the other that stands in the way of glory. And the glory seems to be very particular. The Americans have won the last four world championships over Canada, but the Canadians have won the last four Olympic tournaments. And that, says former Canadian goalie Daniel Dubé, is the big one of the two. And for some reason, Canada has learned to ramp its game up for the Olympics. I think it's just, it's, it's trusting in the process and knowing that in those years in between, if you're not successful at a world championship, that's not the end goal. That, the Olympics is kind of the Stanley Cup of women's hockey. It used to be the world championships, but now with the Olympic opportunity, it, so it's kind of trusting that process as you're going through it and learning from maybe things that didn't work through world championship years and then coming up strong in that end. The funny thing is, it doesn't matter what is on the line for these two teams, be it an Olympic gold medal, a world championship, or even an exhibition game. The moment Canada and the U.S. women appear on the same ice surface, it's serious business, and this rivalry has been going on for a while. 
I think so for sure. I mean, it, the intensity in that game, I find you don't get that in, in professional hockey right now uh, unless you look at playoffs. That's when you see things ramp up and it might build there over a playoff series. But for all round, I would have to say for sure, probably one of the biggest rivalries. And because of the intensity of this rivalry, the women's gold medal final has become one of the must-see Olympic events. I've noticed it actually the past two Olympics. I have people calling me, leaving messages, more excited to watch that women's final than the men's final. So it's kind of, it's neat to see kind of that turnaround and that respect for the game that's there because it is a different style of game, but is very entertaining hockey to watch. In the round robin at this tournament, Canada beat the U.S. 2-1, but that game could have gone either way. So Canada has 21 medals right now. It's going to be 22 after the game. It'll be gold or silver, so we will be up to 22 for sure. Okay, if they handed out the Calder Trophy for Rookie of the Year in the NHL right now, the winner would not be Brock Besser. It would be the Islanders' Matthew Barzell, which would be a great local story as well because he was brought up in Coquitlam. Besser scored 21 goals from October through December. Since then, he has six. Now, 27 goals is a great season on its own, but he will score a few more. Don't worry about that. But it seems he might be slowing down a bit because being a college player, he's not used to playing this many games and traveling this much in a season. As Travis Green says, an NHL schedule does take some getting used to. Uh, a little bit of life in the NHL, and it's a grind. And I think he's in it. He, I thought he was better tonight. Thought he had a little more jump. I thought he was tired for a few games or looked a little tired, and which is to be expected a bit. Gets a feed from Besser. Drops. Horvat coming on goal. Besser shoots wide. You know, he's flown to the East Coast twice, back. Lots of hype, lots of media stuff. He's, he's probably is a little bit tired. By Monday, Eric Carlson and the uh, Senators might be playing for someone else. Very much on the trade market right now. Actually, the Senators' bus had a bit of an accident before they got to the uh, United Center for this game against the Blackhawks, but everybody's okay. Patrick Kane, a goal there. And Kane, best stick handler in hockey. Look at that. Not having a great season, Chicago. Well, that's a nice goal. Artem and Isimov, it's 2-2 in the second. Ottawa and Chicago. All right, Champions League, Shakhtar Donetsk of the Ukraine against Roma of Italy. It's Sen Giz Under. Oh, that's in! But Shakhtar tied at 1-1. Then on the free kick, it's Fred. Yes, we're on a first-name basis. Just Fred. And Fred scores. And that's the winner. Don't you have an animal named Fred? I used to have a cat named Fred, oh. also a grandfather. My dad was Fred. <laughs> and, and That's a good, solid yeah. name. It's a good, solid Fred's name. Everywhere. In fact, it's such a good name, you don't need any other name with no, it. No, you don't. Fred's Just good Fred. enough. Yep. Thanks, Squire. Welcome. <laughs> Let's check in with Jay Durant for a preview of Global News at 11, J.D. I have a friend named Fred. See? There you go. Just You're one. in the club. Great yeah. name. Good. <laughs> Here's today's snow report. A few centimeters of snow falling in the mountains today and more coming Friday. Whistler Blackcomb Base just under 300 centimeters. Grouse 400. Cypress 394. Sasquatch 329. Revelstoke a base of 262 centimeters. Manning Park right at 200. Powder King 260. And Mount Washington 238. Big White in the southern interior base of 286. Silver Star about 250. Sun Peaks 223. And Apex 258. 
Coming up on ET Canada, the celebs now speaking out on gun control and donating big money, plus previews of Game Night and the Lost in Space reboot that's coming up at 7 right after the news hour. Back to you, Chris and Sophie. All right, thanks very much, Paul. A Langley woman is making it her mission to help turn garbage into something great for people who don't have a warm place to sleep. And as John Hua reports, there's a very personal reason for Jennifer Cosman's acts of kindness. As another deep chill comes in, the community's most vulnerable, desperate to keep warm. Jennifer Cosman's solution, not just thinking outside the box but using old grocery bags to make a difference. It's always on my mind. I'm always thinking about it. Any chance I have, I sit down at the table and I start weaving. Up to 700 bags and four days of labor, weaving what many would consider waste into one mattress to help ward off the cold. You see those sad stories of the people that have, you know, caught fire while they were trying to stay warm in a garbage bin or in a tent. If it keeps them warm and it keeps them alive, I'll keep going until I can't do it anymore. In Langley, where the homeless count outnumbers the available shelter beds, this low-tech innovation offering potentially life-saving insulation. It provides that layer of insulation, um, but I think it also provides that, uh, that feeling that somebody out there cares. Woven into each plastic bag mattress, a painful and personal connection for Kozman. Well, my dad's been homeless for 10 years now. By taking matters into her own hands, the hope it might be paid forward to the parent currently out of her reach. I can only hope that at some point somebody does help him in some way, and I can hope that he would be very grateful for it too. For now, Kozman just committed to doing what she can for others, left outside during this cold snap. I'd love to see them all off the streets and actually have a warm place to sleep at night and have food in their bellies, but I know, sadly, that's not always the option for everybody. So it's up to these old plastic bags to warm a few hearts and in their new form, carry a little bit of hope. John Hua, Global News.